welcome to episode one of the Stilettos and Stouts podcast. It's a weekly podcast that we're going to bring you that talks everything New Jersey Devils hockey. My name is Christy and I am your host. I am also a media member of the New Jersey Devils. I'm in my second season with my credential and my co-host Ryan, who understands what it's like to be on the emotional roller coaster that is being a Devils fan. Ryan, what's going on? Nah, well, not a whole lot at the moment. Um, just a little bit of background on me. I am literally the same age as the Devils. Uh, they came to New Jersey in the same year I was born. So I've been through uh, a lot, you could say. Um, I got really spoiled in my uh, high school and you know early college years with great teams. Um, rode that all the way into being a season ticket holder following the 2012 Cup run. Uh, which turned out to be a terrible decision because we have not been good since. Uh, so the last decade has been rough. Um, I've been out to a lot of games this year. It certainly makes it a lot easier to spend money on the team when they're winning. Um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out to more games and hopefully I'm looking forward to seeing some more doubles wins. Right. Because right now we're they're They're in a little bit of a rut. They've dropped their last four games, but what's more interesting to me and for anyone who, you know, follows me on Twitter and reads my articles, I wrote an article about why the loss of Nathan Bastion is going to be more, it's going to, it's going to affect the team more than Mackenzie Blackwood and Andre Palat. And the stat that I want to start with is the devil's record with Bastion out of the lineup, not including the game that he actually got injured in. They are three, three and two. So they had three wins versus the Rangers, the Flyers, and Chicago. And can we be honest, the Devils did not deserve to win the game against Philadelphia. Even the next day, like Nico Heischer made a comment that, you know, we'll take the win, but we really had no business winning that game. Then they had three losses with the Islanders, Flyers, and Dallas. And that game against the Flyers, you kind of saw that they did deserve to win. So it kind yeah. of it flipped the switch a little bit. And then the two, of course, overtime losses against the Predators and the Rangers. So my question to you, Ryan, is, is Nathan Bastion, like, how important is Nathan Bastion to this team? Because I think we're seeing that he, you can't really replace him. No, and, and what he does, uh, he does really, really well. He's a good net front, front presence. Um, I think he complements the other guys on that BMW line uniquely. Because it's partly because of his size and he's not um, let's remember he was a second round draft pick. So it's not like he has hands of stone or he's not expected to be able to handle the puck at any point. Um, but I think that's a bit of a two yes and a no to that really, to be honest with you, because yes, their record hasn't been fantastic, but you can argue uh, that two of those losses, they deserve to win based on their play. I mean, you put over 40 shots on goal. Um, although I, I would also like to argue Carter Hart didn't have to work as hard as I would have liked him to, but still you put 40 <laughs> shots on goal on an NHL goalie, you could expect to score at least two or three goals generally in professional hockey. Well, and I think Ryan Graves addressed the media before that Flyers game, and he made a point to say, we're not necessarily playing bad hockey right now. We're just not finding ways to win. And I think that is an accurate statement. I think when you watch the games, they have, you know, there's pockets where they're playing poorly, but they're not really playing poorly like we, like fans saw last season, where it was just a mess from puck drop to the final buzzer. They're, they are still playing good hockey. And I think that's where a lot of frustration for like the fans and maybe the players too is coming into play a little bit because they're not playing horrible hockey. They're, it's self-inflicted wounds. That's really been 
the problem. Yeah, it's that, and it could be a little bit of puck luck too. I mean, it's it's not that is something that if you've never played the game of hockey, you don't really understand how ridiculous that can be sometimes where you can be in the exact right spot where you're supposed to be and the puck just bounces right over because it's not a ball. Um, But also, you know, keep playing correctly and your results will come. Uh, Even just getting the one point to go to overtime a couple of times that, you know, in the end of the year, that could go a long way. Uh, We all joked about it when they were winning constantly. And we're like, well, this is going to be a benefit at some point because they're going to go on a skid. And, you know, maybe we're getting the skit of the year out of the way right now. And when I talked to Brendan Smith, I had a one-on-one with him um, the beginning of October, I believe. And he, the one thing that he really stressed was how important those early points are. Because he goes, you can't yeah. make it up. Because at the end, he goes, everyone's pushing for that playoff spot and it becomes impossible. So he goes, the one thing that I want to vocalize with this young team is you need those early points. And you see it. The team dropped four in a row. They haven't had the best record as of late, but they still have, I believe, a four-point advantage over the Carolina Hurricanes. They have that cushion. So I think it's just one of those things where now you're seeing how important those early points are because it's an 82-game season. There's going to be highs. There's going to be lows. No team is going to go like 82-0-0. That's just not realistic, especially with a sport where there are so many injuries. So I don't think it's necessarily – you know, I wrote another article about how it's – you're not – this isn't like a panic moment. This is just adversity. And I think it's good for this team to have adversity and realize that, okay, like, yes, we were able to win. You know, we were winning in a multitude of ways, but now our competition is coming in. And it was Tatar that was telling us, he goes, you know, in the beginning, people didn't really know what to expect from us. And he goes, even our opponents didn't really know what to get from us. Now they do. And he said, moving forward, we're going to get the best of the best. Like any opponent we have, they're going to bring their best game against us. And, you know, I think there is that question of they're one of the fastest teams in the league. If that speed is taken away, how is this team going to react? Because I think the Stars did a really great job kind of playing. Like they were forcing the Devils, I think, to play, to kind of go away from the game that we've seen them play this entire season. Yeah, I was at that game um, and they did look frustrated, especially towards like the end of the second period. You could kind of see them kind of throwing their heads in the air a little bit. And uh, they came out a little more focused for the third, at least from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you could see it. And uh, that's this is what good teams have to go through. Right. Like I'm convinced that they're a very good hockey team at this point, like the Mm -hmm. skill level, even the goal that Jack scored last night. It's just you're not supposed to be able to do that. Like, that's not normal man and we're gonna get really used to that just like we got really used to marty brodor stopping everything and everybody thinking it's a sinking ship with every goalie that's come in here since like um you mark my words right now in two years we're gonna get so used to jack making those plays we're gonna wonder why other guys can't do it and it's because they're not him exactly no i agree jack's just sometimes you watch, i watch jack from the press box and it, we always joke we're like he's just on video game mode it's just yeah <laughs> It's just a different level of what he's doing. And I think one of the things that needs to be straightened out during this stretch of them having this adversity is they're not getting four consistent lines anymore with Bastion being out. And that's kind of been a struggle as well. We saw a couple games where Ruff shortened the bench. And right now they had practice this morning and the lines are Tatar, Heischer, and Zetterland, which I'm personally good with. I think Zetterland does really well in that role. 
And he's done I, everything they've asked him to do in every situation. He's excelled at exactly what they've asked him to do this year. Yeah, and I think Tatar Tatar's played well this year. You know, yes. I think he has played him himself into a top six role. Uh, the next line we have is Sharon Govich, Hughes, and Bratt. And I know everyone, I was on social media and I saw everyone was so excited that Brat and Hughes were reunited. And I said, nothing makes me happier than seeing Sharon Govich and Hughes reunited. Because if you, I, I've been saying this for two years now, if you want the best out of Sharon Govich, you need to put him with Hughes. And I think the last couple of games when he was on the, when Sharon Govich was on the fourth line, you kind of saw the difference between that Sharon Govich and the one that's on Hughes's wing. Uh, the third line, which I'm personally a big fan of with Bastion out of the lineup, is Wood, Halla, and Mercer. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that's the one that caught my eye, too. Uh, the one thing I don't like is Mercer and Jack have this weird, like, yeah. hockey bro thing going on, where I'm, I've convinced myself that they talk like the two hockey bros in Letterkenny all the time. <laughs> like, is, it, is that what it sounds like when they're talking to each other? Is it just, like, constant hockey bro chatter? They they do get along really well. But I think <laughs> at the same time, I think if you don't get along with Dawson Mercer, there's something wrong with you because he's just a delight in every capacity. Well, that's awesome because he seems like a sweet boy. Yeah, he's a really nice kid. He's, it's very fun to talk to him. And then the fourth line, which is kind of a question mark, is Boquist, McLeod, and Holtz. Yeah, and that's, a, that's, that's like the underachiever express outside of McLeod has actually been really good this year. McLeod's been strong this year. I will yeah. I will agree with that. He's done well this year. And to be honest, up until Bastion, you know, Bastion's injury, I didn't have a problem with Boquist. Because the way that I looked at him is I had some people say to me, you know, you don't see him. And I said, but sometimes that's not a bad thing. Like if you look yeah. at your depth defensemen, sometimes your depth defensemen kind of go overlooked a little bit. And you're like, they didn't, you know, they weren't Kale McCarr. They didn't do anything great. You didn't, they didn't stand out. And I said, but they also didn't stand out for anything negative either. Right. They just did their job. And that is sometimes all you need them to do. You don't need them to be Kale McCarr. You don't need them to be Connor McDavid. They just need to go onto the ice and do their job. And that's kind of how I saw Boquist for the past couple of weeks. I mean, he had that one game where, you know, it was just a rough, it was a rough go at it. But overall, I think Boquist kind of went in. I think he, defensively, he's pretty sound. He's been used on the penalty kill a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. Yeah. So I don't necessarily have, I never had an issue with Boquist being in the lineup. I really never did. But again, Bastion's absence, there's some holes that you're now seeing. And I know you have a lot to say about Alexander Holtz. So I will just, like, <laughs> I will just let you start. Well, no, I, I, and as we talked a lot in the offseason, I always try to be transparent and like, I'm not going to try and change your position, even though I could, because nobody knows what my position was. Okay. Um, and, and I was dying on the hill of you have to, <laughs> you have to let him play because you have to know what he is. It's kind of similar to the Daniel Jones with the Giants. You, you have to know what you have in this kid. And if, if he had come out this year and looked like he had improved his foot speed significantly uh, and looked like he does look like he's playing the game more intelligently. He's making more of an effort on the back check. Uh, that's, that's certainly true, but I just don't think he can skate with our top guys. I don't think he's got the foot speed. I don't think you're ever going to get him there. Am I saying Alexander Holtz is an NHL bust? Probably not. But I'm saying Alexander Holtz won't be the best player he can be with the New Jersey Devils. So this, these are my thoughts on Alexander Holtz. He's 20 years old. And I always think that it's, you know, players develop at their own 
speed. Not every mm-hmm. player is going to come into the league at 18 years old and dominate. Um, I think, honestly, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a Tolbinin with the Predators, because I think Tolbinin took a little while to develop with the Predators. Mm-hmm. And last season, he did really well. He was key on their power play. But I guess I, I there was a point where he kind of fell off when he wasn't on the power play. He wasn't contributing as much. And we know that they waived him and that Seattle claimed him. Holtz, for me, when I watch him, I do agree with you. I think the improvements are there. Yeah. I think his, I, you know, I watch him along the wall. His wall plays much better. He's better at protecting the puck. But there's something there that's still missing. And I remember it doesn't I, have that first step like the rest of these guys have. Dawson and Jack are gone. Brat is gone. Even Sharon Govich, to a lesser extent, he's still gone. Yeah. He doesn't have that. It takes him two or three strides to get going. And, and again, it's not saying he's going to be ineffective, but it's really obvious. Well, and I think, too, the other uh, thing that I keep, you know, that the people bring up to my attention is, well, you're not putting him in a position to succeed because you're dumping him on the, as a bottom six and he's not a bottom six player. Sure. Okay. But at the same time, I believe it was Bastion, actually, who said a couple seasons ago that he goes, if anyone had to reinvent themselves to play at the NHL level, it was me. He goes, yeah. I have to completely re-fig- like figure, like, refigure out how to play hockey, how to play in the role that is needed for the team. And I feel like that's fair. Like you need to figure out how to to be in this league and make it work. And sure. I think to some degree with Holtz, it's like, well, you're not putting him in a, in a place to succeed. And it's like, okay, but now you want me to take out a player like a Zetterland or a Tatar that has, you know, played themselves into that role. They deserve to have those top minutes. Yes. And you want me to drop them for a 20-year-old kid that hasn't really – deserved maybe that might be sound, it might, that might sound harsh and I don't mean it to sound harsh well, but there's it's, also the way that you need to figure out how to succeed in the league yeah and and I would be making way more of an argument for that to be the case if it looked like his speed was there it, mm-hmm. it, it, it that's really what it is for me with this team and also part of it is we're way better than we expected this year let's be totally honest the devil's trajectory got moved up at least a year if not two Mm-hmm. Um, so now like what's more valuable to this team in the immediate return, right? Is Alexander Holtz developing and maybe getting there in three years, or is it up to your advantage to kind of sell high on him and maybe think about using him as the centerpiece of whatever trades you're inevitably going to make? Cause let's be honest, they're going to make a trade. Well, and I think too, I always, and I actually, I tweeted this and I like got my head bit off, but I'm like, I think people, <laughs> I think people miss the point. Is I mentioned about how Boquist was picked ahead of the draft, ahead of Robertson in the draft. Yes. You have Alexander Holtz, who was. I, saw that. <laughs> I know, yeah. People did not like that one. Okay. But you have Alexander Holtz, who is a top pick. It's like Zaka. The players don't like you. The players have no control where they are selected. Yes. It comes down to the teams and the scouts. And I said, it, it's nearly impossible to project how most of these kids are going to turn out. These are 18-year-old kids that you're watching. And unless they're Connor McDavid, you really don't know what you're going to get. I mean, look at Nolan Patrick. He's dealt with so many injuries that maybe healthy, he is a second overall pick or a first overall pick. But we'll never know. Dodge the bullet right there with that one, though. Yeah, so, so many injuries. And I said, you know, Holtz is kind of like Zaka, 
where there's this expectation around him because of where he was picked. And mm. it's not really fair where you have like a Jesper Bratt who ends up being like a diamond in the rough where there was no expectations. And he kind of was able to really prove himself on his own terms because there wasn't the, the, the eyes weren't on him to perform like they were on Zaka and like they're on Holtz. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a very, very fair argument. Um, and yeah, these kids don't get to pick where they go, you know, unless on there's very few sure things, yeah. um, you know, the, the whole Jack Hughes, Capo Caco, Jack didn't play against men thing. You know, I died on that hill. I was like, I don't care. No one does that. No yeah. one can do this at the speed he's doing it. Um, but yeah, you know, you get other situations where, you know, the Nico Nolan Patrick draft, that was a legitimate coin flip. And it really uh, was. And I think people that was a legitimate that coin Patrick flip. was he was Nolan Patrick was heavily favored the whole by year. a lot of the people whole year. first. Yep. Um I, I I my buddy who's a Flyers fan will will back me up on this. There was something <laughs> about that kid that just made me uneasy. I didn't there was something about Nolan Patrick where I looked at him and I was like, I don't trust you. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but either way um you know that that could have been the pick think about that if the devils don't take nico Heischer and they take nolan patrick with that draft pick wow and i think the other argument that i had for the people that were biting my head off about this is i said if you got barzell over zaka and robertson over boquist you most likely won't have jack and luke hughes and i think most fans no. would say they would rather have jack and luke than have Barzell and Robertson. So yeah. it works out the way it works out. I just think it's always fun to kind of look back on things and kind of just see how it works out because there's a reason the redrafts never look the way they actually were. Like there's a reason for that. It, it changes so much in those in two, three, four, five years. And I feel bad for Holt because I think there is that pressure because of where he was selected that he instantly needs to perform. But you know, the other issue that I have is that, you know, for him, everything's about his shot. That's the one thing we hear about Holtz is like, you know, his shot, his shot, you know, he has this really great shot and he doesn't, he doesn't really, like, I don't see him really shooting the puck that much. Yeah. I don't think who he is a, find himself a in spots to shoot often enough off the, off the skate though. He had a really nice one-timer last night. Uh, in the in when the ov wheelhouse as everybody calls it now but i mean that he ripped it and Hart was right there he didn't even have to make a hard save but it was right on the post you know mm -hmm. I, you saw it that you're like ooh. um but you know if you need to be stationary to get that shot off in this league the way this team is going to inevitably play for the next let's be honest till jack's not on this team that's how you play hockey you play hockey how jack hughes wants to play hockey that's just the way it is yeah, because I believe in 11 games, Holtz has 12 shots. That's hard. <laughs> um, but I think, I think it's hard, too, because his line, a lot of times when he was with Boquist and Sharon Govich, they didn't spend nearly a, a lot. They didn't spend a lot of time in the offensive zone. No, they didn't. And they also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, there were a lot of games where those guys ended up riding the pine for the last, like, Yes. Two thirds of the third period or so they get one shift at the beginning and then it was shorten the bench. Let's crash and keep rolling. Yeah. Well, there was, I think the two times that they were benched, I know at least one of those times they were on the ice for uh, an opposing goal. Yes. And you know, they just, you know, the coaching staff just didn't like that whole, you know, sequence. 
Um, but, and again, it's like you, you talk about all these things and you're like, okay, well, you know, you got to put Holtz on a power play. Like that's when he's going to contribute. You got to put Holtz with these players that are really going to help him offensively. And I think back to Bastion saying how he had to reinvent himself. And I'm like, Holtz is so young still, but is this going to be a player that if he wants to stay in New Jersey, because it kind of seems like he potentially could be really good trade bait for, you know, to get in somebody else. Is he going to be effective in New Jersey? Yeah. I, I mean, again, at this point, the way the way the team is moving and the way your pieces have kind of all slotted in, uh, you don't really need him to be super successful on this team anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. The Brat situation aside, um, you know, we can talk about that on a different podcast and why you shouldn't pay Jesper Brett more than you're going to pay Jack Hughes, but that's just my opinion. Um, you know, I, I just think he's more important to this team getting somebody else in here at this point. And it's not a knock on him. It's not me saying he's not going to be a good NHLer. I just think the value to the team in the immediate future, especially with what you have in the pipeline, as far as prospects go, you know, I, I think it would be, I think it would be useful for them to use him if other teams are interested. Well, and I think too, it comes down to, I think what we, what fans saw, what, like, especially with Corey Schneider, the team was not on the same page. When Corey Schneider was playing his best hockey, the team in front of him was not there. No. The team slowly started to get better where they really needed goaltending. Corey got injured and they, they weren't in sync at all with each other. And when I look at this team, now that there is that veteran presence with a Palat, you know, you have Jack and Nico and Brat all kind of developing and, you know, kind of entering into their prime. Does that change the trajectory of what you want to do? Because now you have a lot of young talent, but now you don't want to waste that talent. I think in the past, there's that, you know, that out of sync cycle where you kind of see talent being wasted. Like, maybe you can argue back that the Devils wasted the best of Corey Schneider's years. Oh, absolutely. That's a that's an absolute fact. Um, um, and you don't, to, you don't want to see that with Jack and Nico and Jesper, especially because they're all around the same age. Like, you have a, a, you have a core right now that is all around, even like Siegenthaler, they're all a couple years apart. So do you, would it be worth it to trade some of your high end younger prospects like an Alexander Holtz to bring in, like, I know every Devils fan loves, you know, they're looking at San Jose. Would it be beneficial to bring in a player who's also in their prime and ready to compete with the core that you have? I don't want to trade Holtz for a rental. That's that that I don't want to do. So if it's it's because Timo Meyer would be a rental, correct? He's a he's a free agent after this year. You would have to sign him. Um, you'd have to sign yeah. him to kind of contract. And I think the problem is, and like I understand from a player standpoint, you want the stability. You want those eight years, especially if you have a kid or you have a wife, a family. I completely understand why oh. they want that extended. You know that extended certainty that they're going to be in the same place. But at the same time, I don't think every player deserves an eight-year contract. And I think over the past couple off-seasons, fans have seen eight-year and seven-year contracts being handed out like Oprah's handing out cars. Yeah, of course. And I think part of that has to do with the, the workarounds that everybody's playing now with the LTIR game. Because you don't really care. Like, if they're shit in the last five-year or five-million year of their contract, like, just LTIR, he's got a knee injury. Oh, he's got a back injury. Prove it. 
right? You know, that, that kind of does annoy me. And I think that's part of why they're giving away so many of these deals. But I think, you know, Devils fans want the team to sign Jesper Bratt to a long-term deal. I do too, 100%. But I don't want them to sign Jesper Brett to a deal that's going to make them handcuffed down the road. And I feel the same way about Timo Meyer. You're, you're going to run out of money here real quick. And you're going to have to end up paying a lot of people real real soon. And I, I think the closing thing that I'll say about, about that topic is, and I talk to my friend at Prudential Center about this all the time, look at the Washington Capitals. I understand why they paid Alexander Ovechkin what they did. Yeah. He is that franchise. He brought oh, yeah. that franchise like back to life. Like, he rejuvenated the fan base. He like what like it was an individual effort of what he's done for that fan base. But at the same time, when you look at his age and you look at the numbers behind everything, they're going to be in trouble. Their yeah. rebuild is going to be tough. Oh, they're going to be bad for years. So it's, it's, there's a give and take in like kind of how you're saying with Brett and like, you don't want, you know, that kind of contract to come back and bite you. You can kind of see certain teams where they're paying for their talent and they're, you absolutely understand why they're doing that choice, but you're sacrificing the present and maybe a little, but you're, you're sacrificing your present for your future. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to be in a position where we're talking in a couple of years where you got to pay Dawson Mercer. You know, you're going to you're going to have to pay Luke Hughes. If Seamus Casey keeps going the way he's going, those are big time defensemen get big time contracts. And you could argue that they're way more important to your team's success because they can get the puck out of your zone. Um, and even a guy like Brett, I, I love him. I think he's a great player. But I I don't think that you just throw the bag of money at him. I, I, I would be really hard for me to swallow because I could also see a scenario where before he's 30, his production goes down and goes down fast because of the game he plays. Yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with Brat because the fan base is so vocal about how they about how they feel about him. But we are gonna have to save that for another episode because we are <laughs> we are actually out of time. That went really fast. Yeah, that went shockingly fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for everyone who tuned in and listened to us. Just kind of you know. Just chat for a little bit. Yeah, we're figuring it out. And we'll be back next week. Awesome. See you.